Good morning, and I bid everyone of us present here, as well as online, a warm welcome. I'm so thankful to God, you know, for this opportunity to study His Word and to be able to share His Word with us this morning. The subject on fulfillment is quite a heavy subject, and uh, you know, a lot, a lot has been written about it. And even if you search the internet, there are plenty of articles, you know, written by people who perhaps consider themselves to be to be qualified to share concerning fulfillment in life. And uh, you know, it differs from individual to individual depending upon their perspective of life and their religious, uh, you know, uh, association. Deep inside, I think all of us want to live a fulfilling life. But what exactly constitutes fulfillment? Does it come from wealth, from material gains, from you know recognition? And maybe for some of us, the, the our Chinese eh, uh, of origin, big family, you know, uh, pleasures of life, things that we gain from learning, wisdom, you know, uh, philosophy. That, that gives us a highest a sense of um, perhaps higher sense of awareness and uh, perspective or meaning of life. Yeah? Or some may think that it can come from completing some major feats in life, uh, self-sacrificing work, or completing a bucket list. Solomon searched for that. Solomon searched for the meaning of life. God has already given him wisdom, but he wanted more. And like many in the world, he thought that it could be found in knowledge, in pleasures, or even lust. He pursued all things in life that supposedly gave him meaning, gave him the peace of mind and understanding of happiness, but discovered to his this disappointment that they come up empty. He could find neither meaning nor satisfaction in pursuit of knowledge. In fact, he learned that in much wisdom is much grief, and he who increases in knowledge increases sorrow. Neither could, could he find what he was looking for in wealth, in possession, in pleasures, or great, great accomplishment. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 11, he says that I look at all the works of my hand, all that my hand has done, and on the labor in which I toil, and indeed, all was vanity, grasping for the wind. There is no profit under the sun. The good, the good Christian need to define what it means to have a fulfilled life, what it means to have fulfillment, or what is fulfilled life. And to be able to live it. And if you have watched the current James Bond movie, No Time to Die, towards the final scene, M, the head of M MI6, he, re he read a quote from Jack London, right? An uh, uh, American author who is famous for his writings, two books, huh? The Call of the Wall and The Sea Wolf. And this is what he. he uh, M read. 
He says the proper, the proper function of a man is to live, not to exist. I shall not waste my days in trying to prolong them. I shall use my time. Jack London made a distinction between existence and living. Existence is like just being there, right? Or being here on earth, filling our time, drifting along life's journey, influenced and dragged along by external forces, often without clear direction or meaning. And we are satisfied with somewhat me. Living, on the other hand, is to have a purpose, a direction, a meaning, a sense of well-being and satisfaction that comes about, that is brought about by accomplishing that which we have set out to do. And then we do it well. Of course, there are variations in, in which one may set out to, you know, may, may define his or her life's meaning. But to the extent of our ability to to be able to fulfill that quest with a sense of achievement, by and large, right, we can all agree that living a life with purpose and meaning, and better still, living a life that is consistent with the purpose or the will that God has defined, following after that principle, can provide fulfillment. The Almighty God, in Isaiah chapter 46, uh, read so well by Brother Willie just a while ago, right? Here I want to share with you the profound statement that Isaiah wrote for our understanding. In verse 10, he says that my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Indeed, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. God in his wisdom and power has ordained for us and the world everything to fulfill his purpose and to make them happen. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, the author says that it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. I believe for us a fulfilled life is one that is lived consistent with God's will for men. That's what Jesus did, isn't it? Jesus came to do his will. And one that is lived consistent with the teachings of God ultimately to glorify his name. Scripture says that God created us for His glory and instructs us to do everything for the glory of God. Whatever we do, do it to the glory of God. Jesus made a statement in John chapter 10, verse 10, that He came to give us life. He came that they may have life. They referring, of course, to the inhabitants of the world. right? And not just to have life to have life more abundantly. In fact, a more abundant life is his desire to give us the very best. The word abundant, translated from the Greek word perisos, yeah, which means exceedingly, very high, beyond measure, or more, superfluous, a quantity so abundant as to be considerably more than what one would expect or anticipate. Jesus came to give us an abundant life. In short, Jesus promises a life that is far better than we can ever imagine. And this is a concept that Paul expounded in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. He says that no man, or rather no eye has seen, no ears has heard, no mind has conceived what God has 
prepared for those who love him. Paul, Paul, in understanding the word abundant life, right? He he wrote in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, he says, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And he does it by his power. Well, Jesus is able to give us all that we need and more. The abundant life that he offers is not in material things. Yes, the material things will follow. The material things will be added to us if we live faithfully. But abundant life refers to something better. And it's not the things of the world because John in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 says that do not love the world. For if you do, the love of God is not in you. If Jesus is not referring to the things of the world, what then was he referring to? If it has been the things of the world, then Jesus would be the wealthiest, isn't it? Yeah? But it was not. It was the opposite. Jesus made himself of no reputation. He took the form of a bond servant. He came in the likeness of men, and as a man, he humbled himself, and he was obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Jesus emptied himself. Jesus gave us his all. You know, the, the scripture in chapter 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse, verse uh, 8 and 9, he says that he became poor, although he was rich, but for our sake he became poor, that we through his poverty might know the riches of God. Actually, sometimes we, 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 we live without understanding that we are rich. Actually, we are riches if we are with God, you know. And we fail to understand the riches of God. Jesus emptied himself and makes himself poor for our sake that we may understand. Do we understand the riches of God? In his writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, Paul says that we should trust in God who what, gives us richly all things to enjoy. We are not to trust in uncertain riches, right? And there's a caveat, we are not to be haughty if we, are, we, 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 we have, you know, we know that we are wealthy or we enjoy that, that wealth, right? Do not trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Why should we not trust in the riches of the world? Because it is uncertain, yeah? uncertainty of riches. Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 20, talks about the treasures on earth. Right? How it can, can be destroyed, how it can be stolen. And, and at the end, in verse 20, he says that lay out for ourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust corrupt, where thieves do not break in and steal. So Jesus preached on the peril of wealth, that it is harder for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to enter the eye of a needle. Certainly, Jesus is not preaching about the abundant life as being material gains or the wealth that we know. And to emphasize this point further, in Luke chapter 15, Luke chapter 12, verse 15, he says that take heed and beware of covetousness in one's life. A man's life does not consist of the abundance of things that he possesses. What then does it mean when God gives us richly all things to enjoy? Right? And Jesus proclaimed that he 
come to give us an abundant life if they do not refer to material things. And we shall see. We shall see that this abundant life is a happier life, a better life. God's riches is represented in His promises. Exceedingly great and precious promises that God has given to us. A life filled with an abundance of His goodness that leads us to a good outcome. Rewards in heaven that are everlasting. His peace, His joy, and ultimately treasures in heaven. And us, those of us who are in Christ, are meant to live that fullness of life. A life that is superior, so far better, and exceeds anything that this world can offer. But before I go further, I want us to understand what fulfillment is not. I share a little bit about what Jesus um, wanted for us to enjoy. What the things of the world are useful for our living. Right? The emphasis on fulfillment is not in the accumulation of wealth or such things. Solomon, you know, we, we talk about him. He had great accomplishment and yet he did not consider his life to be a fulfilling one. But instead he saw the things as vexation of the spirit. And so he wrote, he wrote of his accomplishments, his achievements, and his great disappointment. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 4 to 11. I'll give you a bridge version of of what he wrote. He says, I made my works great. I built myself houses and planted myself vineyards. I acquired male and female servants and had servants born in my house. Yes, I had greater possession of herbs and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem. I gathered for myself silver and gold and special treasures of kings and the provinces. And I became great. And I excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. And, you know, my wisdom continued to be with me, remained with me. Whatever my eyes desire, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. Then I look. I look at all my works, all the works that my hand had done and the labor in which I had toiled. You know what he's finding is? He says, all is vanity. Grasping for the wind, you can't hold on to it. No benefit at all. No profit under the sun. Some people are like Solomon. Seeking to accumulate wealth, possession, and power. They are not satisfied with what they have, and they want more and more, and they thought that the more they have, the happier they will be. But the opposite happens. Like Solomon, they felt dissatisfied. And their life were filled with anxiety and misery. You know, brethren, living in sin cannot bring fulfillment. That person can never be satisfied with life because he is not receiving the spiritual balance that are necessary in order to acquire life's fulfillment. Naturally, we all desire Material things. Yeah? And God knows that. The scripture explains that God will add to us if we seek after His kingdom and His righteousness. Our Father knows the things that we need. The basic things. In fact, the Bible assures us that He not only provides, God not only provides, but His provisions can be overflowing. Psalms 23, in which we just sang just now, right? In which David proclaims the cup of blessing. It overflows. David proclaimed that, God, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. 
You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows or my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, the scripture says that God challenged men to consider our giving, how incomparable it is with what God can give. Essentially, God is saying, bring all your tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me in this. He says, try me now in this. There's a lot of hosts. If I will not open the door, the windows of heaven and pour out my blessings for you, such blessings that there will not be enough room to receive it. And so Jesus made it clear in John chapter 18, verse 36, that his kingdom is not of this world, a world that thrives on materialism, on fleshly desires, pleasures, pursuit of happiness, worldly wisdom, the money, and the importance of climbing up the corporate ladder of success matter. And Jesus makes a statement. He says that those who loses his life for my sake shall find it. The apostles or the early disciples, they were willing to give everything up, the earthly pleasures in order to suffer reproach and persecution. And they laid out their life willingly for the sake of Christ and his gospel. And Paul taught in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he says that I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When Christ lives in us, all things that pertain to his kingdom, they become of major importance, they become primary to us. Whatever we do, we do to his glory. In Romans chapter 1, verse chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says that we ought to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. It is a life of service to further the gospel and the kingdom, faithfulness to the teachings of Christ, putting into practice what we have learned of the scripture. And that is our sacrifice. In return for the salvation that is promised to us, it is living. It is not a dead offering. Our perspective of what is important changes. The things of the world are now tools to further the, you know, the furtherance of the gospel, not just for pleasure and abuse. The scripture in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 to 17 says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone is in the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And towards the end, he says that if we, you know, do the will of God, it abides forever. So, if fulfillment is not in the world, what then is fulfillment? The Cambridge Dictionary, English Dictionary, defines fulfillment or fulfill as being happy because you are getting everything that you want from life. And so a fulfilled life is something described as being perfectly alive, filled with purpose and satisfaction, in alignment with your vision and you know, your, your, your pursuit of it. In Paul's case, his single goal, his fulfillment is found in Christ. Paul gave up his earlier possessions for the sake of the gospel. 
he made a very interesting comment in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 to 8. He says that whatever things were gained to me, these I counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ, my Lord. Paul do so, he gave up all that he had, his power, his prestige, his status, his you know, seniority in, in, in the Pharisees for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ, for whom he said, I suffer the loss of all things, and I count them all as rubbish. They are not useful to me anymore. The purpose is to gain Christ. He left his former position in exchange for a life of persecution, of imprisonment. And for him, he says that to live is Christ, which translates into everything he sought to be, everything that he is. His single purpose is pointing towards Christ. From the time of his conversion to the time of his death, every move that he made was aimed at advancing the knowledge, the gospel, and the church of Christ. His singular aim was to bring glory to Jesus, and which he did. Paul was a transformed man. So how does the word of God lead to us to a fulfilled life? I will say that is by our transformation just as Paul was transformed in obedience to the gospel call. And when that happens, when our mindset changes, when we are transformed, our benchmark value change. We do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world. But we renew our mind. We are transformed. As new creations, our understanding of abundance is transformed. We are to be like Paul, who declared that the things that he previously gained, he no longer attached any importance to it. He gave them all up. To him, gaining Christ is his fulfillment. And so by way of application, transformation comes from renewing our mind no longer to conform to the world, but living according to and proving the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Christ becomes author and finisher of our faith and our salvation. Matters of eternity, things above, our soul and its destiny, our close walk with God, pleasing Him, loving Him, allowing His teaching to shape our life to transform our life. All this makes us a new person. In Romans chapter 6, verse 4, Paul refers to the new man as walking in newness of life. Our old self is buried with Christ. The things that matter now is living a life free from sin. Because those who walk in the flesh, they cannot please God. By walking in the Spirit, being mindful of spiritual things, spiritual things Putting to death the deeds of the body or the, what you call the work of the flesh, we shall live. And walking in the Spirit is walking or living a God-conscious life. We put off the former self, the former conduct. The old man that was carnal, corrupt, right? according to the laws of the world. But we put on the new man created according to God in righteousness and true holiness. That brethren is living according to God's will, our sanctification. And from Him, when we walk in sanctification, all blessings flow. Jesus used the concept of the vine and the branches. In John chapter 15, right? 
And in verse 4 to 5, he says that abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit on its own unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Much, as in plenty. For without me, you can do nothing. We as the branch abide in him and he in us. It's living in harmony with, with, with the teachings of Christ. And when we do that, he says that we will be fruitful. By allowing his word to dwell in us, to abide in us, whatever we ask, he says it will be done. John chapter 15, verse 7. Without him, we can do nothing. And if I paraphrase it, without him, our life is incomplete. And so when we abide in him and allow ourselves to be led by the Spirit, we are able then to enjoy abandoned life. Abandoned life that Jesus gives, comprising the abundance of love, joy and peace and all the fruit of the Spirit. Not an abundance of stuff. Our interest is on the eternal now, not the temporal. Right? Christians set their minds on things above, not on earthly things. Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. And Jesus says, Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Righteousness describes the ideal of a faithful Christian. To be filled is to be satisfied, for they shall be filled. The hunger and thirst described here is as one longing or having a burning desire to be satisfied. It is said that appetite determines the feast. If we seek after God's righteousness as one who, is, who are hungry for it, we shall be satisfied. So it brings to mind our dependence on God, isn't it? For our continued existence on earth. To be filled with His goodness and all blessings that will follow. And finally, pursuit after godliness and contentment for thee are great gain. And so to illustrate this point, I'd like to tell a story. Yeah? The account of a young man in his prime of his life who travels to a faraway country in search of a better future. And then he came, he came to a crossroad, an intersection, and there were three roads that branches out from it in different directions. He was unsure which to take. One of the roads had a sign pointing towards fame and fortune. Another had a sign saying that your kingdom awaits you, right? Your kingdom. The third just showed the word contentment. And so this young man was wondering which road to take, what lies ahead. The fame and fortune seems so appealing. Most people would desire that, isn't it? That they would want such status. And then the road to his kingdom, making him ruler of a kingdom, is the ultimate. Who would not want that? Which should he choose? Certainly not contentment. It seems so mediocre. It seems nothing special, a life of simplicity. No, the choice is between the kingdom and the fortune. While he was pondering, along came an old man from a farm that's nearby, asking him if he needs any help. The young man was relieved to see someone, friendly, a friendly face, for he has been walking alone 
most of the time and he was rather insecure. The future is ahead and he needed to be certain of his commitment before he continued on his journey. And so he told the old man his concerns, the indecision over which is good for him. And he sought his advice, to which the old man shared freely. The road to fame and fortune is filled with many attractions. The additional signages along the way to smaller roads, you know, in different directions point to beautiful things that await him in, in, the, in the short distance. Things that are good to, to the eyes, good to hair, enjoyment that are part of fame and fortune. But there's a price to pay. You have to work very hard in order to gain access to each of them. It is said that membership comes with a heavy price. Before you gain fame and fortune, you need to invest all your time and energy right, in it. And you will have very little left for your family, for your friends, and for God. You will cease to value truth and honesty or the appreciation of the need to serve God and society. Your friendship is superficial. In fact, you, you are wary of everyone around you for they, you think that they are there because of your status or they want something out of you. And when you arrive at one destination, you are still not satisfied. You want more and more thinking. You know, you look at others more successful than you and, you know, they beckon you forward. And so you work harder and harder and with it, you lost more and more of your personal time with your loved ones and those that you value. And also your value goes with it. After gaining the world, gaining what fame and fortune and everything that you thought was good, you lost everything else that mattered, including your soul. And the old man made an astounding statement. He says, what profit does it bring you? What does it profit you if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? The road to your kingdom leads to your very own country. One field with prosperity of land, of people, of buildings, of farm, of industries that produces a strong economy. In fact, you even have an army of servants and uh, soldiers serving you. Your cause is to serve the devil as your God. You are at his mercy and call. Know that you are not your own. You must now worship and serve the devil. And the kingdom in which you are king of is also to do the devil's wishes. It may appear that you are king. You are dressed in fine clothes, feeding on good food. But after a while, all these become common to you. And you do not know how to appreciate them. But you cannot live without them. You have become estranged from God and your destiny is lost. Let's look at the road to contentment. Very uninteresting, isn't it? The sights are plain and natural. Your life will not be comparable to those who took the other roads. There is nothing pretentious about you. All, as, all are as they should be. No cosmetics, no, nothing artificial. You will not be rich or famous. You will not have gourmet food, fine clothing or big mansions. In fact, you will most likely be poor but you will nevertheless be happy and contented. You will not feel miserable or insecure. You will be in the company of friends, family members, those who care for you and those who provide for you when you lack 
and you too will help them when they are in need. The relationship, the friendship is warm, sincere, and you call each other brothers and sisters, and you are comforted when you are in pain, and your enjoyment of life's blessings are simple but precious. You know how to be a base, you know how to abound. You understand it is God that provides, and you walk close to God in righteousness, mindful of things that are above. Your purpose is to endure and to finish the race victorious so that you can lay hold of the crown of life that awaits everyone who is faithful. And so the old man ended with the advice to choose carefully, to choose wisely because your destiny awaits fame and fortune, your very own kingdom, or just plain unblemished contentment. Coming to a close, the people of the world, they struggle to live a fulfilled life. But unfortunately for many, their efforts to live a fulfilled life or a life of fulfillment has not yielded the desired result. They do not know why they are not happy. Even when they have gotten all the wealth and material things of this life, the truth is, living a fulfilled life is not about power, it's not about wealth, it's not about wisdom, it's not about how smart we are. But they are obtained when our hearts are grateful to God for His continued sustenance. And in whatever state they, we are, whether in lack or in plenty, we are contented and we are thankful. And at the same time, our minds focus on things spiritual. We understand that God possesses all things and, these, and, and He has infinite ability to supply all our needs. If we live consistent with His will and in righteousness, knowing that there is a reward that awaits us, allowing His grace to deliver us from all challenges and always focusing on Jesus Christ as the author and completer of our faith. Without God in our life, there's a void that cannot be filled. The illustration of a road to a kingdom was taken from the temptation of Christ where the devil took Jesus to an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And the devil said to Jesus, he says, all these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. And prior to that, the tempter brought Jesus, you know, and said to him, If you are son of God, command that these stones be turned to bread. But Jesus answered him, and he said that man shall live by bread, shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. That, my brethren, is the key message of my sermon today. That man shall live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The word of God and our service to him leads us to a fulfilled life. Last week, Brother Chang Kun taught us, he shared the message that the word of God is complete. If we want to live a fulfilled life, we must turn to the book of books the Bible, for in it are wisdom of God, proofs for instruction, manual for living, and they are able to make us complete. 
God gave us the Bible for us to learn how to live this life, a life that is consistent with His will and His purpose. The scripture says that His divine power has given us all things that pertains to life and godliness. How? Through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. In the end, it is not our possessions that give us a fulfilling life. It is not our possessions that bring us to heaven. You know very well that we cannot take them with us, isn't it, when we die? The riches of God is not in the things of the world, but it's the riches of His mercy, of His love, of His goodness. The people among us who love us and we love them, avenue of prayers and the exceedingly and abundant great and precious promises that He gave to us, all of which are spiritual in nature. And the Word of God, it helps us, helps us to fight the good fight, to finish the race, to keep the faith. And when we have done that, finally that is laid out for us, all of us, not just us, but to all who love His appearing, the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to us on that day. Brethren, that is the perspective that I have discovered when I studied fulfillment from the Word of God. It may, it may be different from your understanding or that which you read elsewhere. But essentially, God says that He has given us all things to, which pertains to life and godliness. And so if we desire to live a fulfilled Christian life, then we must live following after the teachings that Christ has set for His disciples, isn't it? We must be able to endure the temptations of the world, the things that fool us, that they are beautiful, the visible things that are always, you know, uh, there to attract or to distract us. We are supposed to look at the invisible things because these invisible things are the things that last. And so, brethren, if there's any one of you who are seeking after fulfillment, wanting to feel satisfied, right? But you, you just are unable to have that. If you are pursuing, as a young man, your, your bright future, know that your dependency is not in yourself. Yeah? We need God on our side. And if, you, if your pursuit is taking a toll on you, This morning, God is calling you to return to Him. To live a God-centered life and all His promises of contentment, all His promises of peace, joy, provisions, comfort, healing, support of prayers, freedom from the consequences of sin and guilt, they will all be yours. And so if there's any among you with any need, will you come forward and we shall pray for you? The song of encouragement has been chosen. Shall we all rise as we sing that song? Thank you.